Well, good morning to you. Welcome to Calvary. So glad to see you guys in person, along with those of you who are joining us online and just grateful to be together today in worship. Isn't it good to remember the goodness of God? Like, I don't know where you're coming from this morning, but as I worship back there, I'm reminded of the goodness of God in the midst of all this that we're going through. And it's just a great, encouraging word. And I hope today that's the same way with what I get to bring you. We're walking through a, see, a series on 1 Peter. If you want to turn your Bibles, I'm going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4 today. We're going to continue walking through 1 Peter. And that was my ultimate prayer, that as we talk today about God's word, as you get to hear from God's word, that you would sense the goodness of God, even in the midst of some challenging circumstances, because God is still on his throne. He is still good. And I know that we'll find that today. So if you want to go ahead and begin turning uh, today, we're going to look at first Peter four. And in this chapter, we're going to find out about motivation. I don't know how much you've studied human motivation, but that's been real intriguing because in this chapter, first Peter talks about Christians motivation. But as I've been preparing for this message, I started looking about motivation, you know, things that propel us forward in life. And we all, no matter if we're Christian or not, we become motivated about various things in our lives. We all find points of motivation. As I studied, it reminded me of a movie we had about 10 years ago or so. It was called 127 Hours. I don't know if you know this story, but it's about Aaron Ralston, a guy who was hiking and became trapped by his arm, right? You know where I'm going with this. And uh, he's there for days, goes through some hardships with food, water, and then has to be motivated for his life. And the only way out was to amputate his own arm. <laughs> you talk about motivation of the human spirit, right? I don't know about you, but I, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where I get motivated enough to amputate my own arm with a pocket knife. Like it takes a lot of motivation. And so I thought about that as we were, I was studying for this, this passage. And I looked back at what Aaron had said about his, his time there. And it was really interesting. You, you want to know what motivated him to do that? One of the points, and I, don't, I, I can't remember the movie, so I don't know if this is in the movie or not, but one of the points, he's sitting there trapped. He's obviously dehydrated, starving, knows it's about to be the end. And he has a vision, a dream of his future son and him parenting his future son without one arm. He, he dreams this, has this vision, this preferred reality. And that he attributes to giving him enough motivation to do what th we think is impossible to, in order to survive. Well, today, as we jump into God's word, that's a pretty powerful motivation. But I don't know about you, but during this season, I've been asking the question, how do we as Christians move beyond just surviving through the season to thriving? How do we move beyond just enduring what we're dealing with to thriving in the midst of some pretty difficult hardships. I mean, I think history is going to write back on this as a pretty unique moment for our world. I can't think of as a young man much that I've lived through like this. But I know our world has faced things like this before, right? And in these moments, the people of God have a choice. We can look to our own motivation, our own failings as people, or we can look to what God's given us. What motivation has he left us with? 
And Peter writes to the early church in 1 Peter chapter 4 something pretty incredible that I think, I hope it will encourage you today as we live throughout this season of life. So if you would stand with me and we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 4 and we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, but no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join with them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge both the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel, the good news of Jesus, was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're going to talk today about human motivation, about Christian motivation, why we should do it, how we do it. And in the end, what I hope you find is that in Christ, we live these types of seasons just a little bit differently than everyone else around us. And so let's pray and ask God to show us today our motivation in this life. God, I pray that you'd be with us today. God, you'd go before all of us. God, you go before me and my ability to speak, before us and our ability to listen. And God, you'd open our hearts to what you have to say. I thank you so much for this passage. I thank you for leaving us your word that we might know you in a greater way. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so there's a lot in this passage, but I want to point you to what I repeated there at the end. Because what Peter does is he kind of builds a case, but then he gives you the conclusion. And what I'd like to do is give you the conclusion at the forefront, all right? So you know what we're working toward. The motivation, Christian motivation for living. Why do we endure in this life? Why do we keep pushing forward? And I promise you, it's not for your incomes. It's not for your families. It's not for your life just to be comfortable or live the way you want to live. At the end of the day... Peter reminds the early church and he reminds us today that our motivation when we become a follower of Christ is this, in everything that God may be glorified in through Jesus Christ in us, that in everything 
God may gain glory through Jesus Christ in us. God gaining glory is all about this world knowing more and more about God. And obviously God sent Jesus. We celebrate Jesus in Christian churches because Jesus came as the son of God and made a way for us to know him. He died and on the third day rose to pay the way for our sin, to pay the price for that. And we teach that gospel truth, that good news time and time again. But the other part of the story is that ultimately Jesus has saved you and I and left us here as Jesus went on up up into heaven so that throughout the rest of this time until this world is over, the Christians, those of us who are left behind, can represent God in an amazing way. And that is our motivation for living. It is not my name, but thy name, thy will be done. Not Bo Waldrop, but God, but Jesus, his name be made known as we live in this world. And that motivation gives us a lot of fuel. I would argue that that motivation is more powerful than some dream about a future son or some goal that you had as a young person that you want to see achieved or something you have on your horizon that you're looking toward, maybe retirement, maybe future plans for a family, maybe for some of you younger in this room, it's just school and education. You, all of us have future hopes and promises, but I would argue that if you place your motivation in those future hopes and promises, what a greater season than like this that we're going through that teaches us that our plans can be canceled at a moment's notice. The things we desire can be set aside, no matter how we feel about it, it can be set aside in the blink of an eye. But God being made known through us never ends. It's a goal worthy of pursuing right here and now. And so I'd like to take the rest of this passage, the beginning parts, and talk about why that's important and then how we do it. Give you some encouragement on how you can keep moving forward in the days to come as a Christian. But first, let's talk about the why. The reason that we ultimately need to be motivated to show off God is because when we come in Christ, God changes our hearts. And when he changes our hearts, it ultimately changes the way we think. The why is you have been given a new way of thinking. In a second, we'll talk about how you live. But right now, I want to talk to you about how you think. Because 1 Peter says this. Look at this in verse 1. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And what he's talking about is Christ who suffered and died. Arm yourself with his way of thinking. I love the terminology because... Uh, especially here in America, we love our Second Amendment rights to be able to arm ourselves, right? If you're a hunter, you love to arm yourself to go engage in that sport. We know that back in this time, there probably was swords and things like that that they armed themselves when. Peter is intentionally using a very aggressive term. And what he's saying to you is that when Christ changes your heart, you must pursue, go on the offensive, not play defense, in a new way of thinking. And that ultimately is to think how Christ thinks. Well, how does this relate to the glory of God? Well, Christ came so that God would be made known, right? He suffered and died for the will of the Father. So if we're to think like Christ thought, then ultimately we've got to think this way. 
You see, ultimately, Peter addresses the fact, and I think we forget this at times, that we have a new direction for our life. We ultimately have a new direction when we come into Christ. We take a new way, a new path, a new journey. And he talks about the old path in verse 3. What the time has passed for the old things, the way the Gentiles lived. And he gives a list. And I don't want you to get focused. I'm going to read these things, but I don't want you to get focused on only these things. The Bible gives lists throughout Scripture, and they're always a little different, right? There's all kinds of things that we can get bound up with when it comes to sin. But he gives a list. Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. He gives this list as the example of the things that we are to leave behind. The things that are past. We need to put away human passions and get rid of them. That is part of us making God known in this world. Our new motivation is that we must put these away. You see, this new way is not easy. He talks about how they're going to malign you, the Gentiles. The Gentiles, by the way, are those outside of the Jewish faith. At this point in time, it's a way of describing outsiders. For us in the church, non-Christians. They're going to see you not do these things and they're going to think you're weird. (laughs) To give you some more modern terminology. They're going to think you're different. They might talk bad about you. They might try to do things to jeopardize your life here on earth. Malign. They're going to malign you. But Jesus reminds us in Matthew 7 that we are to enter heaven by the narrow gate. That the path to heaven is narrow. That the path that leads to destruction is wide and easy. And Peter uses this imagery right here to remind us that our new way of thinking has to be toward the narrow gate. Now, I know in this list, you all look at this and you probably go, yeah, that's some bad stuff. I probably don't want to be a part of most of this, maybe all of it. But I want to remind you of something as we look to this list. I asked this question. I wrote my notes. Does this mean then that Christians are to be killjoys? <laughs> are we not supposed to have fun? I mean, the, the world would tell you, and by the way, we have a city culture built up around a lot of these things in this list, right? And when people come tour here, right, what do they think? It's a lot of fun. New Orleans is a place to party, to have a good time. And so is being a Christian just to be the killer of the party? Are we never supposed to have fun? And in fact, many pastors, good parents that are in Christ, if you're not careful, this is how you raise your children. And they, they take the message that we are not supposed to have fun. And Peter never says, don't have fun. But he does say that fun for those that are in Christ has to be different. Has to be different. That if you want to glorify God with your life, if that is your life's goal, That ultimately, if people are going to see God, see Jesus through you, your fun just has to be different. It has to not look like everyone else around you. And this is why I bring this up, because if even though like this list, when I look at it, I go, well, yeah, that's not really a struggle of my life. I know what a struggle of my life is, and that is being different. To not look the same way that everyone looks. To not fit in in culture, society. And I'm just being transparent for a second, even as a pastor, that I don't want my neighbors to think I'm different. It's already bad enough they know I'm a pastor, right? Like when I go out with other people, I don't want them to think I'm different. I want to fit in. When I go recreate with other men 
or other couples. I want to fit in with other people. Am I the only one that feels that pressure in this room, right? We as people, we desire, we are wired to fit in. And the problem with that is, is that that is the old way of thinking. What Peter is reminding the church is not just, yeah, don't be these bad things. What he's reminding you is, is that if you are going to be in Christ, you're going to have to stick out. You're going to have to be a little weird, a little different. Like, here's the premise. If God's going to gain glory from your life, People have to ask, why are you different? They have to. They have to see you as something unique. And if they don't, your life has no gospel power. It has no power to represent God. Because ultimately, you've lived your life just trying to conform and fit in. And that pressure is not what we are designed to live as. We are designed to be different. And so, yes, we can have fun, but it's got to be different. It can't be the way everyone else outside of Christ has fun. And if we do choose to do that, we have ultimately not put aside our old life, the life that you have been freed in Christ to live. So that's the, what we don't do. But what I love is Peter in verse two gives you a option. Here's what you do. He says in verse two, no longer for the human passions, but for the will of God. So the way you have fun and the way we pursue life and the way we go forward in all of our desires is God, what is your will for my life? God, what do you want me to do? And again, that's pretty hard, right? I don't know about you, but I don't have God just all the time audibly telling me, Bo, all right, today for lunch, you're going to go here. And Bo, all right, tonight, this is what you're going to do, right? I don't, I don't have that. Does anybody in this room have that with God? We don't get that a lot of times, right? And so a lot of times what happens is we focus on what we shouldn't do, but we never give what we do. Where do we go toward? And what Peter is arguing in these last few verses is that the will of God for your life is that you would be obedient to what God has called you to do. That these things that are written in this book would not just become optional for us. Not perfect. We don't have to be there today, but that we pursue the rest of our lives trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do? What is your will and what do you want me to do should be the chief desire for our life. You see, it's very similar to parenting. You can spend your entire time parenting giving your kids the what not to do. But if you're not careful and you don't give them values to live by, things that should consume their identity as Christians, then they spend their time knowing what not to do, but they never know what they live for. And I'm so grateful in my life that people, not just my parents, but other people, mentors, professors, things like that have always poured in, Bo, this is the drive for our life. And that is to glorify God and show off his glory as best we can. And sometimes that means being okay with being imperfect. Sometimes that means taking the next step of obedience. And sometimes that means speaking out for what he wants in our lives. Obedience is not about being perfect next year, setting some New Year's goal. I don't know where you come in this morning, but you may have some struggles in life. You may read the Bible and go, yep, I do that. I do that. Oh, got that. Listen, God is not saying to us today that if you pursue the will of God, you must conform and be like Jesus tomorrow. What he is saying is, are you asking yourself, God, 
How do I take a step today? How do I make one step forward today? How do I become just a little more like you today? You see, if we're going to have a new way of thinking, we've got to know that there's a direction that's different. But not only a direction, we also have a future. Each of you in Christ are writing a new story for your future. I I just want to encourage you today. I don't know what your future looks like right now in the midst of the season, but God has a future for you. He does. And yes, one day it's heaven. One day we will be with him. But until that day comes... God is writing a new story in your life as a Christian, and he's not done writing that just because there's a virus in this land. He's not done writing that just because you reach a certain age in your life. He's not done writing that just because you've experienced something in your life you never imagined possible. God is not done with you yet. And I don't know about you, but that's a word I need to hear this week. That he is still writing that story. And the reason Peter says put these old things aside is because he knows that there's pain from our past. That our sin nature and the things we used to do as non-believers will lead to pain. The party does not fill you up. I wrote down it actually is filling, but it doesn't bring satisfaction. Because these things, I mean, they're, they're mostly like, you know, party Things you go out and do, listen, what he's saying is, yes, for the temporary, those will bring satisfaction, but they will not last. They're not long in your life. And if you've ever pursued these things or others, you know that, right? You get the promotion at your job. (laughs) You got a little more money in your life. What's that money do? It goes to other things, right? You finally start dating that special someone. You marry them. Guess what? You still got to pursue things in your life. It's not over. Like these things we pursue, whether they're good or bad in our life, they don't last forever. What they are there for is for, I wrote, is the hope of the future. The hope of the future is to be more like Jesus and to experience heaven here and ultimately go and be with him. And so like our families, they're meant to be a small picture of heaven in our homes. It's not always there, right? We're pretty imperfect people. But it's meant to be that as we live together and as we raise our children, we show a little bit of picture of heaven. In the workplace, you're meant to be a picture of hope and a picture of heaven, not just a production or a manufacturing agent. You're supposed to be a picture of hope in this world. As you go out and you you socialize, I know that's limited nowadays. Maybe it's how you interact online. You're meant to be a picture of hope because there's a hope for our future. As we become more like Christ, we go through the temporary pain of being different for the eternal reward of being more like Jesus. And I want to encourage you that if you're going through any pain right now, especially when it comes to being different, being a little bit unique, being more like Christ wants you to be, there's an eternal reward for that. That if you choose to step out of the pressure, there's a reward coming. But also I'll remind you that even if you're going through physical pain today, maybe you're not, your life's not like you meant for it to be right now. God always uses moments of pain for spirit-filled transformation in our lives. He talks about preaching the gospel of the dead and then becoming alive in the spirit. And I just want to remind you that once you were dead in your sin and Christ made you alive, well, guess what? Sometimes in this world, we go through moments that are hard. Whether they're personal or whether they're like they are with this virus, they're worldwide. 
In every moment, God promises that he will take those points of pain, if you'll let him, and he'll use them for spirit-filled purposes in your life. So don't let the pain cripple you. Don't let the pain of the past cripple you. And don't continue to go down your past ways. Instead, remember there's hope. And there's a hope for your future. The Bible writes typically a lot of times, especially in Ecclesiastes, that things come to pass. They come to pass. This season will pass. Or maybe you're going through something interpersonally that's not related to what we're all walking through. Your season of life will come to pass. The question is, how will you be more like Christ after it passes? How will you be more like Jesus after it's done? As I was writing this, I was reminded of, um, of really summer reading. Anybody did summer reading when you were a kid? Like, I was grateful that um, there were some books that were not as fun to read. But then my teachers gave me one book that has stuck with me. And I still read it consistently um, throughout the seasons. And it's the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. I actually was given a copy as an eighth grade graduate from a little Christian school I went to. And it's, uh, it's Pilgrim's Progress written in 1678. Old book by John Bunyan. John wrote it while he was in jail, by the way, for preaching, just like I am today, in a society that you had to be legalized to preach. You had to have a license to preach and you had to do it their way. And he was thrown in jail. It's a great reminder for us, by the way, as we argue about freedoms, um, just to remember it can be a lot worse, not that we should give them up, but it can be a lot worse too. I'm grateful today that I'm not facing jail time for this. (laughs) And, uh, And John was in jail and he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which is his best known work. And in that, as I, as I read about this list that, uh, that Peter gives, I'm reminded of the scene where Christian, it's an allegory. So Christian is the guy on the journey. He accepts Christ and begins his journey toward the celestial city, which is heaven. And Christian encountered another man named Faithful. And they begin walking this journey together. And they go through some hard things, but they get to a place called Vanity, the town of Vanity. And Vanity had what was called Vanity Fair. And it was a big party designed around all the indulgences of life. And as they walked through this fair, Christian and faithful were tempted and asked time and time again, will you enjoy this or that? And every time they said, no, we are in pursuit of the truth, which in John Bunyan's work was the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We're in pursuit of the truth. And they did that so much that the citizens of Vanity Fair got really upset and got Beelzebub, who ran it, right? You're getting the symbolism, um, to throw them in jail over this. And there was a trial and they were accused. Very good symbolism for what Jesus went through. And in the end, both Christian and faithful were sentenced to death for being different, for choosing not to partake of Vanity Fair. And here's what I want to remind you as I thought about that. Faithful is the first one to go up and faithful actually is put to death. But when that happens, here's what's neat about his imagery. I just want to remind you because this is the worst fear for all of us who think about being different. Is that, oh, my life will be over. Oh, this will happen. As faithful is put to death, immediately a chariot comes from the celestial city, parks outside and picks up faithful and whisks him off to the celestial city. Christian somehow escapes and ends up picking another guy hopeful to go along the rest of the journey. But here's the kind of the spoiler alert. Christian and hopeful have another long leg of the journey left in this life to make it to the celestial city, to heaven. But faithful got to go early. Faithful got to encounter the end goal, the desire for all of us 
ahead of time, all because he was willing to be different. Here's the deal. I know what we're walking through is very serious. And I know what you're walking through today personally is very serious. Let's not forget the goal. The goal is that we would all one day make it to heaven. It's not this life. The things you buy, the things you build, the things you're working on, they're all going to fade. When this life is over, heaven is the goal. And the choice for us is to endure while we've begun to endure and then to embrace whenever God calls us home. But in the meantime, don't let the fear of being different change your way of thinking. Don't let that fear of wanting to conform change you and make you go back to your old ways. Christ reminds us, Peter reminds us that in these moments, we must remember we have been given a new way to think and a new path to follow. But how do we do that? How do we stay motivated? I know some of that's had some hows, but Peter gives some very good specifics at the end of this passage. He gives us a new way to live, really, at the end of the day. And how do we do that? First little side note is that in verse 7, he actually reminds you of what I just told you. He says, the end of all things is at hand, right? He's talking about the celestial city. That the fact is that from the beginning of this Christian faith until now, where I see people saying, are we at the end times? Does this mean that Christ is coming back, right? That's a question the church has always posed. And guess what? It's not a bad question to pose. It's never a bad question to wake up and say, is Jesus coming back today? I don't know, and I can promise you no one has the answer if they tell you they do. That's shown in Scripture that no one knows for sure. But for all of us to remember that Jesus could come back right this moment. And also, Jesus could call you home as you go to lunch today, where you sit today. Like, the brevity of life is something not to fear, but instead to embrace as a believer to know that this is not our home. And therefore, it motivates us into a few things he writes here. The first is this. Ultimately, we must consume fellowship with God. If you want to be motivated in this life to make God known, you've got to spend time with him. And you've got to be in fellowship with him. He talks about for the sake of your prayers in verse 7, right? And he gives two ways to make sure that your prayers are vital in your life. He tells you to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Self-controlled and sober-minded. Self-control is the power to do the right thing. And I'm going to camp out on this for just a second. And I'm going to go to James to remind you of something. Because I'm going to be real honest. I see a lot of people in our current culture saying a lot of things, but doing very little. Including Christians. We like to talk a lot. We like to say a lot of things. But then at the end of the day, we do very little. And James reminds us, James 1, and this is not to throw stones at any non-Christian. I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to you Christians. Listen to this. He says this, James 1, 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. For a hearer of the word is like a man who looks intently at a mirror, who stares at a mirror and looks at himself. And when he walks away, he forgets what he looks like. The one that comes to church and just listens to Bible studies. The one that comes into Bible studies and just hears the word all the time, but never does anything with it, is like a man who forgets what he looks like today. And I just wanted to remind you that self-control is not just about not doing the bad things. It's about choosing to embrace and do what God says each and every day. 
And here's the good news. You know, grace is used a lot as an excuse not to do. Well, a lot of times we know God, Christ saved us for grace, and so therefore we've been forgiven. Well, guess what? Here's the good news. As you try to do today, I know the reaction is, well, yeah, I've screwed up a lot. I tried to do this, and man, I'm still back at square one. Grace is for the moments when you try to do something and you screw up. When you try to be more like Christ and you falter. Grace is not an excuse never to do anything. It's not an excuse, as, as Paul would write, to keep on sinning. In fact, he would call that grace cheap. Christ died for nothing if that was the case. But grace is for the moments where the Christian tries to move forward and his foot falters. Back to Pilgrim's Progress, that journey I was talking about, man, there's all kinds of snares, traps. Christian falters a number of times. He questions God. He, he worries about things. There's a number of times where that falters. But there was grace each and every time, and God made a way each and every time for he continued to move throughout his journey. That's my story. Each and every time I fail, I try to be X, Y, or Z for Jesus, and I don't come up short. Christ's grace is there before me to go before me, to forgive me, and to help me keep moving forward. You see, being a self-controlled person is not about being perfect. It's just about stop hearing it only and start doing it. Start taking steps to do it today. The other part of this is the sober-mindedness. And this is the power to think the right way. So you got to do the right things. You've also got to think the right way. And I don't want you to miss that. Our hearts are directly tied to what we think about. And where we spend our emotion, our energy on thoughts, that's a lot of times what we do. And that's why sober-mindedness, I just want you to be aware, it's not just about substance abuse. Not just about being sober. That's not the language that Peter is using here. Obviously, we want our minds to be free of substances so we can think. But there's so many more things that influence our thoughts and dull our minds than substances. I'm going to give you a real clear one today. I gave it first service, probably a little too strong. Get off social media. Put it away. Put it away. I'm not saying don't engage. I'm not saying we got people watching on Facebook right now. You're not a sinner if you use it, but put it away. Stop letting other people's thoughts consume your thought life. That's what it is. It's other people's opinions and thoughts on how this world should work. And you allow them to consume your time, your energy, your focus, your attention. And I'm preaching this from example because in this season of life, I found myself facing some things emotionally. And I found that the target of that was constantly consuming social media products. And so I've put them away. They're not gone. I didn't delete my account. It's not sinful to engage in that behavior. But I've put it away and I've started to control it in my life. Why? Because I want what God thinks about our world and these things a lot more than I want what other people think about these things. And by the way, my feeds are full of pastors and Christian people. I'm still putting them away. I don't want you to hear from me every day. I want you to hear from God. Put it away. But I'm not going to just step on social media toes for a second. Your favorite news outlet, put it away. Put it away. I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat. Put it away. Who cares what the world thinks about our world? Know what's going on. Be intelligent and be a part of it. But if you let them control your way of thinking, if what you say lines more up to red or blue than it does to God's word, I promise you, you're not being sober-minded. 
You're allowing it to dull your thinking as a Christian. Put it away. And lastly, I just encourage you that entertainment, whether it be movies, television, going to a show, I know that's not right now, but like those type of things, put them away. Let them be a part of your life. But if your television stays on 24-7 at your home and you never pick up God's word and look to what God says, guess what? You won't be sober-minded. Put it away. Sober-mindedness is all about letting God speak into your life more than you let other things speak into. Learning to think how he thinks. And the only way that happens is by engaging with him. And if you have trouble reading God's word with people that have learned to discern it for you. I use Pilgrim Progress as an example. I love that book. It's not a perfect allegory. I would choose God's word over his allegory. But his allegory gives me a picture that helps me in times where I can't quite comprehend some things about scripture. Choose to sharpen your thinking. Think Christianly. And I promise the reason I brought this even up is you need some hows. And the how is pretty important. If we want to change our thinking and remember the way to think and we want a new way of living, we have to be sober-minded. And the thing about self-control and sober-mindedness that I'll end and move to the last section is this. This is a thought I had. We right now are in a, a time in our society where we're very concerned about protecting ourselves. So we have masks, which I'm grateful for. We have social distancing. We have hand-washing stations. All this kind of stuff, we're worried about it. And we're taking precautions to make sure we don't transmit a disease. But are we worried so much about that and consumed in our thinking about all these other things that we have forgotten to protect ourselves spiritually with the armor of God? That we spend all of our time and energy thinking about our health, which I'm not encouraging you to go get sick today and go do something foolish. That's not what I'm saying. But if that becomes our chief motivation in life, your health is going to fail you. If that fear drives you, one day your health is going to fail you. And if it's not this virus, it will be something else. And God challenges us in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God. And as we talk about self-control, doing the right thing, and thinking the right things, being sober-minded, that's a part of putting on the armor of God. So that we'll have the belt of truth and the blessed breastplate of righteousness, excuse me. That we'll have the sword of the Spirit. That we'll have these things that apply to our lives that help us more than just protecting our bodies. You see, if we want to gain God glory, we have got to go out in the mornings, not just with our masks, but with the armor of God fully intact to face any battle that the evil one has for us. And I just want to encourage you today to not miss that in this season because you can stay at home and you can be distanced all day long, but you still might feel like something's missing. You still might feel like life's not right. And I find a lot of times for my life, it's because maybe I've missed the armor of God. That I'm allowing my thinking to become dull and I'm not doing the things that God would want me to do. That's how we fellowship with God is becoming more like God helps us know him better and it brings a better intimacy with him. You understand that? Get that? Lastly, he writes about the church and he talks about the church. And here's what I want to show you that even in a time of distance, the other way we keep going forward, we stay motivated is we stay in fellowship, in Christian community. Christian community is the church. That's why we come together. Whether it be online today or whether it be in this room, we come together 
Because God, from the history of Jesus dying and rising, God has made us as a people that needs one another to stay motivated in this walk of life. Hebrews talks about the race and the heroes of faith cheering you on, right? There is a reality that God just not intend this life for you to just be you and him, but he intended this life to be together. And that's why we as a church are committed to continue to provide resources for us, not just to consume content, but to try to be together. And uh, Peter writes three things real quickly about fellowship. One is this, love with sincerity. Love one another deeply. Be serious about your love in this season. Listen, here's the deal. I have learned this firsthand, that in this season we could just be busy getting things done and trying to keep moving forward, and we can miss those friendships and those people we love around us who may just need a little bit extra love in this season. May need a little more attention. May need a little more than how you're doing. They may actually need you to be present. And especially in the body of Christ, we cannot social distance to a way that we miss one another and continue to encourage one another because we are all facing this in different ways. And beyond this season, it is true even if life felt normal. We can live life like it's, hey, how you going? We come to church, we go home, we do this, do that. And we miss the love that's meant for one another as Christians. Don't miss your love. Both the people at Calvary, but also people you know that are Christian in your life. Don't miss loving them, checking in on them expressing how much you love them, making sure they're okay, and do it with seriousness. As serious as you would take anything else in your life, take your love that way. People argue at a distance that you can't love. I know, I, I know it's been difficult if you've been on Zoom with our Bible studies or maybe you're watching this line, it's difficult. But the example I gave in first service that I think is true is that, you know, I have to learn to love by moving here at a distance. People would argue that you love your family more if you're closer, if you're in person. Well, guess what? I see my family like five, six times a year at, at best. But you can't argue with me. I don't love my mom and dad, my brother and sister and their families just as much as you do. And we use FaceTime and we use technology to love each other at a distance. And I'm so grateful for those tools. I'm glad I don't have to write a letter to my parents to talk with them or call them on the phone, that I can see them face to face. And so distancing is not an excuse not to love, even if it looks differently. Even it doesn't feel the same as sitting down at their table and eating a meal. Don't choose to let go of love, even when you're asked to be away from one another. We all need to love one another earnestly. But I only love hospitality. Without grumbling, by the way, that's the hard one. And he's talking about the fact that you can invite someone to your house. And if you're not careful, they'll stay forever, right? You ever had that happen at a party or a guest come over? And all of a sudden, they're staying a lot longer than you intended, right? And that's the without grumbling part. Because what he knows, Peter knows, is that when hospitality is in the picture, there's the chance for it to be somewhat abused. Not intentionally, but that's just how it goes when you're hospitable to one another. And he reminds us that if you want to look like Jesus... Within the church, within Christian community, there has to be hospitality. There has to be a way to show hospitality to one another. But then lastly, he talks about serving through gifts, your spiritual gifts, and giving them to, your, to the church, the body, the community, right? Not just some organization, but to the fellowship of believers to give your giftedness. So let me just be real clear in this season. Even though we're doing things a little weird here at church, if you're a teacher... Need to teach the word. If you're an encourager, you need to be in our online chat with Miss Audrey encouraging one another. If you're a prayer warrior, you need to keep praying. 
And I'll give you real clear um, instruction on this here in the church for me and the staff and the pastors here. Let me just give you one word that'll help you. If you don't know where to start, all we need is a question of how can I help you? Now, not hear the difference It's not. Here's what I want to do. It's how can I help? And we might give you something that you didn't think you wanted to do, but it's being willing to try to help. Even in a season where we can't have much physical help, there's not much need as far as your presence, but there's need outside of that. There's need online. There's need in places. Our, I'm grateful for our tech guys. I didn't say this first service, but like having them here, we have to have people that are willing to use their giftedness to serve. And so whatever your giftedness is, that's how ultimately we stay motivated because here's the deal. If your job left you tomorrow, you can still be useful. Yeah, you might not make an income, right? You got to figure that out, but you can still be useful for God. We are not limited in this season in our ability to love, show hospitality as best we can, keeping ourselves safe and serving other people in the church with how we've been gifted. And at the end of the day, what I know is the moments where I choose to do this is where I feel most at peace. When I start to feel a little depressed or I start to feel like this is a weird season, or maybe some of you have been through worse than that, the way we overcome that is by remembering Jesus. So rather than a future son in a dream, we look to Jesus Christ. And we remember that he's got us, but we also remember that our goal is to be motivated enough to become more like him so that he might be made known. I wonder how many people will step into the kingdom of God because of what's going on in this season and because of the faithfulness of his people here at Calvary in New Orleans. How many people could walk into the kingdom of God? How many people need encouragement, hope, love, and support because of our faithfulness? And I know it's weird. I know it's different. I know it's not easy. But I just wonder if we were faithful what could God do through us? But what I know he promises that if we're faithful, regardless of what happens with other people, here's what I can promise you. God has a great plan for your life. He's got a great plan for your future. It may be hard. Like I talked about Christian and hopeful. It's not easy. The path's not always easy. But I know he has a great plan. His plan is for you to become more like Jesus. And as you become more like Jesus, times like this, Man, they grow you in some amazing ways. I would argue they grow you more than times that are normal. We look back, if you think about it, on the people of the past that walked through world wars or other issues of depressions, things like that, with so much respect, right? We look back on them and we think, man, they made it through those hard times in our country's history. What if this is one of those times? What if this is a time that the history books will remember? And the question I have is not just what did America do, but what did the people of God do in that moment? How did they not just survive, but thrive in the midst of chaos? I pray that over your life. I pray that over your family. I pray that over your businesses and your jobs. I pray that in this season, you will not just survive it, but you will thrive in the midst of what God's doing. Here's the good news as we close. I want to just refer back to verse 11. Peter writes, By the strength that God supplies. 
The way we thrive, we stay motivated, we focus on Jesus. Here's the good news. It's not by your strength today. It's not by how you're feeling in your body. It's not by how much sleep you got, how anxious or worried you are. It's by the strength that God supplies. He gives that through Jesus by knowing Jesus, but he supplies you the strength to run this journey. To be able to do the things that I'm talking about today, God provides the strength. He gives you exactly what you need each and every day. So I thought as we close today, it'd be a great time just to go and ask God to give us strength to continue to provide. And you may be coming in here going, I'm good, Bo, pastor. I've been all right. We're doing fine. But I know I've talked to some of you and I know this has not been easy. And so we need God's strength to continue to be with us as we live this life, as we make decisions each and every day, as we try to be more like Jesus and do what he says. We try to avoid the influences of the world around us. We need God's strength to do that. So would you pray with me as we close today and just ask God to do that with me? We pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you have promised to supply us the strength we need. And God, I can't tell where people are coming from today or who's watching online, but I know that I need your strength. I know that this church needs your strength. We cannot do this by placing the burdens of life on our own shoulders. We can't even become more like Jesus, be motivated to become more like Jesus without your strength. So God, we ask you for that today. Would you give us the strength that comes through faith in you? And God, I pray for those that might not know you today, that they would place trust in Jesus Christ. They would turn from their sin and they would give their heart over to Jesus. And God, that that journey would not be a one-time decision, but it'd be a change for their entire life. God, I thank you so much for these people in this room. And I pray you bless them today by your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being here today. Thanks for being at church. Thanks for joining us online. Listen, in this season, we're here with you. We're walking it with you. We love you. We're for you. If you have any need at all, prayer requests or you want to let us know what's going on in your life, please let us know. You can fill it out online if you're watching, or you can go back and see Miss Audrey and she can take down requests you have or things that you might need. But we're here for you as a staff team. I also want to remind you on Wednesday nights, we're having a great time talking about the names of God. So if you've not been able to tune in on Wednesday night at seven o'clock, we're having an awesome time discussing that. And that's on our streaming service. You'll see that on Facebook or on our website or on YouTube. You can go to any of those three places. We'd love to have you join us as we talk about the names of God. It's been really fun. We used to have about three staff members up here and we're just discussing a different name each week. And we've had a great time doing that. So don't miss that moment. It's kind of our midweek moment for the summer. And so um, we're grateful so much for those of you who give each and every week, stay faithful in that. We're so grateful. It lets us do what we're doing to provide what we're providing here at the church. And we're so grateful for each and every one of you. It's a part of the way we serve. So thank you. That's all we can express in this season. Thank you for being faithful and how God's blessed you. Thank you for blessing him back through your church, through the church here. 
And then lastly, um, parents in the room, you know, we've got Jumpstart on YouTube and on our church website for you later if you're in the room today. Please check that out. Pastor Stephen does so much work to make sure your kids are loved on and provided for. And as we end our service today, that's what we're going to do online is we're going to go Jumpstart online and let the kids at home engage with him. But we're so grateful for you here. And I just pray you go today and you'll be motivated as you go forward in Christ. All right. So bless you. Have a great day and we'll see you real, real soon.